Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Third Impact Anime. I am your host, Bill, and today we have a very special episode for you today, as we are going to be talking about shoujo and working within YouTube. Unfortunately, I guess for me, I am a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, so I decided I needed an expert on these two fields. So, special guest, if you could introduce yourself. Hello, it is me, Colleen of Colleen's Mongarex. I do YouTube content on uh, shoujo and jose, anime, and manga. Colleen does excellent essays on shoujo that I found thanks to everyone's favorite friend, the YouTube recommendations tab. <laughs> I think uh, your first video I watched was your rise and fall of uh, Viz's shoujo beat label. And I watched it and was like, man, this is really good. This uh, really you. thorough and, I, and I'm learning a lot. And uh, your channel has uh, got me into different series like uh, Snow White with the Red Hair, which I am watching the anime currently and am really enjoying. And uh, some other manga like a Critical Condition Called Love. Oh, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, listener, if you don't know what shoujo is, I'm going to recommend you go to Colleen's YouTube channel because she's done multiple videos describing what shoujo is. But if that's not to your liking, let me briefly give <laughs> a uh, probably not so good definition of what shoujo is. Shoujo is a demographic term primarily focused on uh, young girls. Um, the stereotype with shoujo manga and anime is that it's usually high school romance, but shoujo can be a wide verse of uh, topics from sports to science fiction, like the classic shoujo They Were Eleven. Shoujo uh, has a wide berth of topics and genres, and, I th and that, for me, that's what makes shoujo so interesting but uh hopefully i didn't butcher that too badly oh no but, that was uh, perfect thank you uh, so colleen whenever we have a guest on for the first time we always like to ask them what got them into anime and manga so probably for you what got you into anime and what got you into shoujo manga and anime adaptations yeah, I think for me and, you know, for a lot of people in my kind of like generation of the 90s, it was just, you know, cart Saturday morning cartoons. You, you didn't really know it was anime at the time, but then uh, you, you kind of like get into Pokemon, you get into Digimon, you get into Yu-Gi-Oh! And then you start finding out about like Magical Girl series. And those are... Those are just something that we don't really have as much in America, especially back in the 90s. So finding those, like Cardcaptor Sakura, that was a huge revelation for me. I thought Sakura was so cool. I wanted to be just like her. Um, so yeah, finding finding like Saturday morning cartoons, getting into Cardcaptors. And then I started because I had a friend who was also very into Cardcaptors. 
I had a friend who introduced me to Fruits Basket. And that was kind of like the first time I watched anime knowing it wasn't technically supposed to be like a like a Saturday morning cartoon that I could just find on TV because there was really no place to watch Fruits Basket back back then. Um, and that's when I found out, oh, there's like book versions of this too. So when the Fruits Basket anime was over and I watched the whole thing, I found out that there were book versions at the library and that's how I got into manga. I would, it's probably uh, good best to say that uh, Fruits Basket is a very general gateway for a lot of people that get into shoujo. Oh, absolutely. I feel like it, it's either Fruits Basket or Oran High School Host Club. And then sometimes it could be like Vampire Night. And I think that's just because it was so ubiquitous in like the mid 2000s. Yeah. And uh, just, I think Tokyo Pop at the time had the license to that. And they were, they were one of the few kind of early companies that realized, hey, there's a demographic that is not being really um, served. We should we should push that. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Tokyo Pop had her backs back then, and then you know they kind of fell off. But <laughs> then they got too big and decided we need to make a reality show. <laughs> yeah, those were the good old days. You could probably find Tokyo Pop volumes still in your flea market everywhere across the country. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I, if you walk into some sort of like secondhand bookstore, you're almost always going to see like a, just a full set of some sort of Tokyo Pop series you may have never heard of. What is this? How have <laughs> I never heard of it? <laughs> exactly. But that, those were the halcyon days of the 2000s boom. So I guess for you, um, did you kind of have a like initial period where you're really into it and then kind of dropped off for a while and then kind of came back uh, into it later? Like, how has your, I guess, your fandom gone as the years have progressed? Yeah, I I was like super, super into anime and manga. I mean, obviously I still am, but when I was like um, a preteen to late teens, I was super into it, but somewhere around uh, my senior year of high school, I think, I kind of fell off of it more. Uh, I came back in during college just a tiny bit, like I got really into Attack on Titan and Haikyuu like everyone else did around that time as well. And mm -hmm. then I, I, I didn't really stick to it though, I wasn't like getting back into collecting, but for me, like many other people, once again, I got back into a lot of hobbies that I used to have uh, during the pandemic. So that's when I kind of got back into reading manga and watching anime. I ended up rewatching a bunch of series I used to love and kind of like rekindling my love for anime. And then it once again spiraled into me being like, oh, I haven't reread this series in a while. And then I would go reread all my favorite series from from my teen years. So yeah, I, I kind of fell off, would come back, fell off. But now I'm back and hopefully I'm here to stay for longer than last time. <laughs> I bet it was like 
a, a mixed bag going back and reading like old favorites of like, oh, this series actually holds up pretty well. It's like, oh, why did I read this? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I talked about it a bit in my Shoujo Pete video, but Shoujo Pete titles are really like hit and miss. I feel bad for anyone who wants to collect all of them because a lot of them are not very good. Uh, but yeah, I would reread some of those and just be like, why did I like this? I don't, I don't really know like what interested me with these series. Uh, but there were a lot that still held up or at least for me, I was still like, oh, okay, I can see why I like this. It's always kind of funny looking back and being like, why, why did I think this was a good, this was a good show or this was a good manga? I think uh, a big example for me would be like uh, uh, at the time, like in the uh, mid 2000s, Elfin Lead was really popular. Yeah. And I was like, why was I into this? Because this is a horrible, <laughs> horrible <laughs> premise. And just really bad. Oh, it's that song. That song was the key. <laughs> and the really pretty, that really pretty opening animation. That's probably what kept me going. <laughs> I will say I was so into Code Geass as a kid. And while I still like really like it, I don't know how I watched it d during like some of those fan service moments. Like when I went back to, to rewatch it, I was like, I don't remember this much fan service in this series. So I just thought that was really funny to go back and be like, oh, there's a lot of butts in this. Yeah, that's a series I'm like, I'm probably happy with my rose-tinted memories and I probably should just keep that away and not watch <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, probably. But was I, I'm guessing that the pandemic and rereading and rewatching some of these old favorites were was that kind of the catalyst for you to want to start your YouTube channel? The catalyst it was more the catalyst for getting into TikTok because at the time I was making TikToks, but I was doing it under my photography stuff so I was making photography TikToks and like showing off my photos and then when I started getting back into anime and manga because during the pandemic I couldn't do photography anymore so I was kind of like running out of content to make um, I would I pivoted into making anime and manga content and then from there I you know really started focusing more on shoujo and jose and kind of like started to learn more things that I found really interesting and then I would have some people be like, oh, have you ever thought about doing YouTube before? And for me, I was, I was very against it for like a long time. I was like, I don't know. It seems too like hard to get into, like hard to break into, I guess. Um, right. But then I was just kind of posting some of my TikToks onto YouTube at first and they were doing okay. I was like, you know what, I'll just try it. I have a camera because of photography. So like, I think I can just like make an outline. And so my first video was just talking about the different manga magazines in Shoujo. And that one did decent. And I was like, okay, I'll just kind of keep trying. And then 
you know, my second video blew up like crazy. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm a YouTuber now. <laughs> I, I think just that's the key is just just find your find your niche and find what you are you're passionate about within YouTube, because I probably uh, would feel the same way if I were to do uh, YouTube of just like it's so entrenched at this point and it's so hard to to break through. But I think you discovering shoujo, which is a topic that before I I saw your videos wasn't really covered that much. Most most of the YouTube airtime is going either to popular shonen titles or what's the new hotness of the current anime season usually. Definitely. And I, that's why a lot of people wanted me to do YouTube whenever I was like asked about if I was considering doing it. They were just like, there's literally no one that we know of who just focuses on topics of shoujo that aren't just like, here's my favorite romance series or just here's some recommendations. And while those are like good, um, I think just having someone actually talk about it like it is just as important as, as you know, the most popular shonen manga. I just think that was something a lot of people didn't have and overdue. And I'm glad to see that other people are filling in that niche as well now. I'm, I'm wondering, was it, I'm, I'm imagining like after the second video, it kind of kept built your YouTube uh, content kind of went like a snowball rolling down a hill where it's just like, okay, it's, we're going and going and I'm trying to figure out what am I interested in talking about next? What would I think would be a topic that's not really covered that much within the, within the shoujo space or a series that I really want to highlight? Is that kind of how things have progressed uh, since you started? I think for me, since I started out on TikTok, it when I started on YouTube, it was a little bit easier because I had already been writing like little three minute essays on, on things that I found interesting. So what I kind of ended up doing when I first started was like, oh, I already have these scripts. Why don't I just flesh them out more, put a bit more mm. like research and um, references into it and turn them into videos, like full videos. So mm. that's why I ended up doing, or that's what I ended up doing with, um, like my What is Shoujo video and uh, my A Condition Called Love essay, as well as my Queen's Quality one. I had already done little essays of, of those series over on TikTok. And so then I just mm. expanded them and had like more of a, more of a reason for why I was talking about the series added into the, into the script. And then, mm. so like for the first, five months or so when people were like, oh my gosh, you post so much. Like, how do you have this time? It was just like, I already have the scripts ready, essentially. I just had to give them a little more flavor. <laughs> and and now it's like, the the will has uh, probably gotten a lot smaller. So I'm, I'm now having to <laughs> rewrite new scripts and figure out 
new topics I want to cover. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I am. A... <laughs> Every month I'm like, okay, I need to think of two videos that I want to do. And it almost always ends up at this point just being like, okay, what's a theme for manga recommendations I can do? <laughs> and then is, is there like any video essay that I really want to like hone in on? Um, for this month, I'm set, but I'm already like, oh no, I don't have any videos that I like have in mind for next month. <laughs> Since you've brought it up a couple times, I, sh I should ask, what is it like, at least for you in the anime manga space on TikTok? Because I'm a stubborn, a stubborn person and I'm not on TikTok. So kind of the audience for TikTok is, I would say, is, is foreign to me. Like, I'm not sure if there's any real differences between that audience and the YouTube audience. There's a lot of difference. Um, I would say they definitely want more like short bite-sized content that's got like a catchy opening um, and less so any sort of like critical analysis, I guess. Um, not that people over there don't like critical analysis, but for anime and manga, I've always felt that they would rather watch something that is just like, give me some fast manga recommendations, point at some text and show me a panel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's just not as much um, desire or ability to, to en engage with anything beyond more of like that short form content. Uh, and then when something does do really well, that is longer is more just like if they could argue with you on something. And in that regard, I would say that's very similar to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that leads into probably uh, my next thought, because for me, as someone that's been doing this podcast for a while, feedback is very sporadic and it's like a black box. I don't know where it's coming from. It could come from a post on our website it could come from a post on social media like not not twitter x whatever that name is <laughs> <laughs> uh it could be on our uh, on our youtube channel where we repost episodes there but it's very sporadic but since your primary focus is youtube and youtube is very instant i'm going to post this comment about my thoughts and I'm it's at least from how I kind of see YouTube it's either very much like oh I thought that was a really cool video I really like that or vitriolic <laughs> hatred uh this there seems to be no in between yeah yeah <laughs> there's there's not much in between <laughs> um yeah, I, I feel like yeah. sorry go ahead I was just gonna, just how do you deal with that sort of like instant feedback? Because we don't 
at least for my podcast, we don't really get that. But when you post a video on YouTube, probably in a few hours or less, you'll instantly get comments or thoughts on your video. The thing about YouTube is that your first day of posting is almost always going to be your audience that enjoys your content. So the first day of posting, it's almost always just people being very nice or having conversations or like asking questions and that's all fine and dandy. And usually the first day is fantastic. Then from there, <laughs> it kind of snowballs outside of your audience more often. Um, and especially if it starts to actually gain traction outside of your audience and get recommended to new people. And that's usually when you kind of lose the main um, the main point of your video to these people who just wanted to like... So sometimes uh, a video of mine will do well if... Do well, quote unquote, <laughs> if, uh, if I said something wrong and then all these people get an, an opportunity to jump at me and be like, oh, you said it this way? You're so stupid. That's funny that you said it this way. You should, why can't you learn Japanese? It's like, okay, are you gonna pay for my Rosetta Stone? <laughs> but um, yeah, so like usually after the first day, you start to get a lot more comments that are either a little nastier or they just are willfully misinterpreting you because they want to, because they probably came from some I'm gonna guess it's usually like some Discord or some Reddit that the video got posted to that like I can't see. And so, you know, that group of people is coming at me. <laughs> uh, well, I'd say to those people, I'd like to see you try and make a YouTube video where you did the research and you did the editing. <laughs> right, right. Because yeah, it's, it's harder than than what you actually think. It's not some magical uh, wish that I just say, oh, I'm going to do this about this topic and it's just gonna get done like that. <laughs> it's a lot more work than what I, than I think what than people realize. Yeah, I put about, I put about one to two weeks into research before I even start scripting. And the script mm. usually takes about a week and then the editing takes about a week. So if they want to, you know, do the four weeks of all the stuff that I have to do for my videos, they can go for it. But I guess, how do you deal with the, uh, with the negativity that can come your way if a video kind of goes outside your initial audience? Is it just like after a couple of days, I'm just not going to even look at the comments do, or are you going to, have moderation? What's the, what's kind of the method for you in dealing with that? It really depends. For, for my misogyny in the manga community one, I knew I was gonna get hate right away. So I was already preparing myself for that. I had a friend and my boyfriend do moderation for me that day and then for the next couple of days until, you know, it kind of started to slow down and I didn't have to worry as much about just the instant, oh, I saw the title, I want to get mad. So I'm just going to write the comment before I even watch anything. But for other videos, it can be really hard 
to, first of all, anticipate when you're going to get hate or when you're going to get people usually more often just being like, oh, you're so wrong about all these things. And it's like, well, did you look at the sources? I, I have sources. Um, and then in that regard, I know for a lot of people, they like want to be like, oh, yeah, I, I just let it brush off my shoulders. I'm not as much like that. It's, it's hard to brush it off my shoulders whenever I get something being like, oh, well, actually, you're really stupid for doing this or you're really stupid because you said this. It's just like usually after that, it it kind of like stays in your head when you're making videos from then on. And you start to kind of just like second guess everything that you make. Uh, I know for me, I like, I feel like I hear the comment in my head when I'm writing a script out. I'm like, oh, okay, someone's probably going to say something like this if I say it this way. So I have to be like a little self-deprecating. Otherwise, they'll, they'll take it the wrong way. So I have to like dig into myself to make it seem like the comments don't get to me, which isn't the best way. I I need to get a tougher skin at this point, but I don't know. When you start off with like only your second video getting you a full audience and you're still not entirely used to that, mm -hmm. it takes a while to grow that tough skin. So I think I'm still in the process of like trying to figure out how to manage my mental health while also building a small audience well i can relate to that self-deprecating uh defense mechanism i do that all the time with myself on this podcast and in person because you i think for anyone that's in the creative field you're always over probably always overthinking and always second guessing of just like how is something going to be perceived how are things gonna be examined and so I think even to the to people that are much higher up the rung than than me, I, th I think that's just a that's a common thing, and it's just everyone needs to find their own way in dealing with it, whether that's through moderation or uh, finding a good support group. So I I can relate to that. <laughs> Yeah, having a support group has been really helpful because I do have a good group of friends who are all like, if I see something that really like upsets me, I know I can send it to them and they'll be like, we got your back. Like, they, they, it's not like they attack the person or anything. <laughs> They're like, we got your back. Let's all commiserate in our little group chat. Let's, you know, talk it out. And mm -hmm. usually after that, after I talk to them, I feel a little better and it's a little easier to let things roll off of you when you have other people to like help push it off of you. Right. And also, and probably the other thing that can be kind of an emotional roller coaster is the YouTube uh, demographic data that you'll be sent on videos. Cause I've seen other creators in different spaces, just like the way YouTube frames your videos in terms of how it's succeeding and how it's failing can make a creator feel pretty crappy. <laughs> Absolutely. From, from what I've heard, because they'll be like, oh, you didn't do as well in your metrics. Oh, that's too bad. Why aren't you doing better? Or even if you're doing really well, 
And it's like, you're you're like over 40% over your metric, but you could do way better. <laughs> yeah, they, they really are trying to make you feel bad <laughs> when your videos don't do as well. Um, the little the little gray down arrow that graces your screen anytime you click on your YouTube studio is just it hurts <laughs> it hurts to look at once you open. Um, yeah, I uh, because I had such like a huge start from there, mm. it's kind of all just been downhill. Like every now and then I'll get a spike, but. I feel like all I ever see are those gray arrows <laughs> because I, I'm never going to get back to that one video again. Like that was a, a flash in the pan, you know? So I'm just, uh, I've just got, got to get used to that little gray arrow that I see all the time. Yeah. I think you talked about it recently on X Twitter about like, man, this, I, I'm I'm sorry I'm forgetting the video, but it was one of your recent videos where you're talking about like, man, it's it's not getting the amount of views that my previous videos have gotten, even though they're kind of similar in content. And I think you said like I'm I'm still happy people were enjoying them, but it's kind of weird just how the YouTube algorithm slash demographics seems to go. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for that one, I so all of my manga video essays don't do very well. And the only one that has done well is my Condition Called Love one. And that is mostly just because I had posted it within the time frame that the uh, Decline of Shoujo anime video was doing really well. So it was getting, you know, that little bit of a boost from people finding my channel uh, around that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but since then, none of my other manga video essays do really well, and I do kind of plan for them not to because, I mean, shoujo manga in general is just not as talked about, so if you don't know about a series and it's not super popular, then it's not going to be a video that does really well. Right. Um, but I, I did think with my, my recent one, I just thought it was a little strange because I know that Studio Ghibli does really well and like part of the video was like how ghibli inspires this manga and i was like really thinking that it was gonna be you know at least getting outside of the usual viewers of mine but it never did and i was just like that's so weird i feel like it would have but um yeah i am i am very happy like that people watch my videos at all but it definitely is just like a lot of lows and every now and then you get a good high <laughs> do you because i i get this feeling when we're doing the podcast sometimes of oh i need to cover more popular series or topics that would probably get more more downloads do you feel the pressure kind of within your head of i should really cover like a classic shoujo series that from like the mid 2000s that are that has a lot of popularity like Iran or I should do a fruits basket video or um, uh, I should do maybe a video on Nana or a, kind of an older um, more established I, I hate to use this word but more established shoujo manga in the general community 
what's funny is I don't really feel the need to cover popular content and I never really have just because I've always been like, well, other people have already done it. Like, and I, I know there is value in like maybe a different perspective or like just maybe I have something different to say than someone else may have. But to me, it's just like, it's already been covered. Like what is, what more is there to say about about Fruits Basket or, or Nana or, or on High School Host Club? So I've always just kind of been like, I'm gonna make the content that I wanna make, which is why I feel like if I do complain about something not doing well, I can't really complain because it's on me for not entirely wanting to follow trends. Just mm. because I like to talk about things that aren't talked about and because they need spotlights too, you know? I, I want Queen's Quality to, to do really well because it's a great series and it's unfortunate that no one else talks about it. And so I, I'm, more, I'm always more focused on what attention can I give to something that doesn't have the attention I feel it should. I think that's a great perspective because, as you said, like, Fruits Basket has been already covered to death. And it's just going to get into just like a, be part of the endless sea of people that have already talked about it. Uh, you've talked about this before, but it kind of makes me laugh when people have brought up like, why can't you cover Shonen? Why can't you talk about like Spy Family or Sakamoto Days or something like that? And I, I can understand your perspective of, but that's already been covered. And there's a ton of people with different podcasts and YouTube channels that are just devoted to Shonen. My, my perspective isn't going to really, isn't, isn't going to add much. And I feel the same way for me. Like I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do a video on, I don't know, uh, spy family or, uh, classic Shonen like DBZ because that's that's already been it's already been covered and exactly. my, my 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 perspective on that is not really going to change your mind you you probably have already made up your mind about how you feel about dbz or spy family or chainsaw man exactly and i i just like to think of myself as like someone who just wants to introduce you to things i i don't really care as much about covering things that are popular or covering things that like everyone wants to to hear about in the sense of like oh we want to hear about sailor moon first of all i've never really watched sailor moon so <laughs> i can't really cover it in in depth to a degree that people might want me to but i do want to introduce you to something new if you possibly haven't been and that's kind of like my whole thing with my channel is introducing people to Shoujo and Jose. I just, I want to be the gateway into someone finding something for them and then, you know, expanding their own knowledge and um, reading repertoire of Shoujo and Jose. And also just if you're covering something that you're not really passionate about, you'll see that in the work. Exactly, yes. You're, 
people people can tell when you're really into something and when you're not and that's kind of at least for me my philosophy with my podcast is i'm going to cover topics that i'm really into so i will talk about lupin the third i am going to talk about old obscure 70s and 80s shoujo or old toei uh animation uh movies when they were trying to copy walt disney because <laughs> that's what interests me yeah and that's like that's how you build fans and, and an audience and people who like respect your opinions too because you're talking about things that you actually like and you kind of like will attract the people who also like those same things and that's the the passion between everyone is you know how you build that that community of people who just like enjoy what you enjoy well this kind of leads into is that kind of probably the highlight that you get out of doing youtube videos where you'll get like oh i hadn't heard about uh a critical condition called love i hadn't heard about queen's quality but now thanks to your youtube video i think i'm gonna go check it out yeah i love that that's like my favorite thing i love when people come to me and are like oh my god i read shihayafuru it is my favorite thing now and i'm like good now go tell other people <laughs> i just i like i like sharing what i like you know i will say i uh shihayafuru is like one of those like cult band anime manga where people that have watched it are really into it. I'm one of the sad people that have still not experienced Chihayafuru, but it is on my need to watch slash read list. Well, by the end of this <laughs> podcast, I think you're going to, I think you're going to put it up at the top. Definitely. I, I have no excuse. I, I got high dive. So it's, it's just right there. I can I can go in there and watch it. <laughs> the Colleen effect. The Colleen effect is talking to me for a little bit and you leave and you want to read or watch Chihayafuru. <laughs> <laughs> what is this spell over my Roku remote? It's taking me to high dive. <laughs> exactly. It's the Colleen effect. <laughs> Since we've been having all this YouTube talk, I think it's time to get into something a bit more fun. Let's talk about shoujo. So I have to admit, I am still a relative newbie into the shoujo demographic. I'm a bit of a hipster, and then I've been watching a lot of older shoujo from the 70s and 80s. So for me, I've recently just finished the uh the tennis the tennis shoujo anime aim for the ace i've watched 
1984 Glass Mask, and I started uh, Dear Brother and Rose of Versailles. But I've been trying to not be a hipster and trying to uh, watch newer or newish shoujo. Recently, my usual co-host Austin and I are watching Snow White with Red Hair, which has been a blast. And I've been reading a few of the first volumes of shoujo that Kodansha USA is usually really generous about uh, putting out as a free download you can get on many digital services or as part of their many, many humble, humble bundle deals, which listener, if you have not done that, I highly recommend uh, that when Kodansha USA does humble bundle deals, it's a great deal when you get a, usually a lot of different types of manga. So I recommend that if you are okay with the a digital format. But uh, I think also what's kind of helped me explore shoujo has been your your kind of videos. As I think my first one that I mentioned earlier was the rise and fall of shoujo beat, and then it was like finding a really good TV show and I would just go, Oh, okay. This is another essay. This is really good too. And then another one. And it kind of led me to some wonderings about uh, shoujo. Most of it probably is the kind of the demographic terms, because I think as humans, we're hardwired to want to have like a definitive definition and term. And I think in videos like your What is Jose video, terminology and what, what actually fits into that can be kind of fluid and not as rigid as, as people think it is. And I was wondering how you feel about kind of these demographic labels and how you navigate that. Because I imagine for your YouTube channel, that can also be a tricky thing of just figuring out what exactly fits into what yeah it can be tricky and i think it is reasonable for people to be confused by them too i while i try to like help educate people or at least just be like no this one's actually a shonen it was published in a shonen magazine i i don't like condemn them <laughs> for thinking that something may have been a shoujo that actually wasn't I think more of the reason why I'm a little more strict on like what people are calling shoujo and shonen and seinen and jose is just because at this moment in time and for forever since since its inception shoujo and jose have always been kind of either thrown under the bus or just deemed not as worthy or not as good so when people are trying to say that a shonen, oh, it's actually a shoujo, or oh, this shoujo, it's actually a shonen, which hardly ever happens, I will say. Um, <laughs> the only time people try to say a shoujo is a shonen is if it's an action series, and they're like, oh, mm. boys could actually like this one, and I'm like, okay, hold on here. <laughs> um, anyway, so the only reason I'm a little more strict on the demographic terms is because if you start calling a, a shonen a shoujo then 
when are when do we just stop caring about shoujo entirely? Because shonen could just entirely eclipse it at that point, or seinen could just entirely eclipse jose, and then you know it just they would fade into obscurity, and then people would just be saying all these shonen or shoujo, but then you lose the kind of essence of what shoujo is because it is mm. it is very unique. Um, it was created during a time where like women didn't really have their own thing and they were able to come into this manga space and be like okay well we're gonna make these series for girls and we are women and we kind of have an idea of like what girls liked when they were kids um so like having that is really cool because we don't have that in America, even. Like, comics are... Comics aren't divided by demographic here, but you don't really think of comics as being for girls as much. But Japan has, like, this whole subculture of manga that is for girls and for women. And I don't know, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. And... and... I would say, at least in the United, in the West, in the United States, women are still undervalued when, in terms of the the market and the and the audience. When, at least from in my opinion, women drive can drive series to popularity. Uh, this is an old example and a and a Western one, but when I, I don't know if you know or or watched doctor who but during the heyday i was a big whovian (laughs) yeah yeah uh like the popularity of of people like david Tennant and matt smith were primarily driven by the female fan base and i think thanks to them doctor who gained a larger popularity in america i think that gets and that 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 gets ignored or um, I a, re- a very recent example, like this come, comes with a lot of baggage, but the Barbie movie that has just come out that has just blown up in terms of the, the amount of people that are seeing it and just the box office records it's smashing. Yeah, it's and just... I see a lot of I see a lot of parallels when when stuff like that comes up when people talk about like feminine media like the Barbie movie, which is not intended really for anyone other than kids who played with Barbie, and that is more often than not young girls. Um, mm-hmm. And seeing people kind of like talk about the Barbie movie and. Some of the some of the men, you know, who who've left the theater being very upset about it. I'm just like, I, I see those parallels between how like the manga and the anime community talk about Shoto and Jose, and how the Western audiences, people in America, have been, you know, talking about the Barbie movie. And so, even though America doesn't have that divide of demographics, the What's the word? The thought or like the same idea that many people have is still there. Like it's still a present thing. 100% where 
with Western media, we seem to divide entertainment by demographics, even if it's not spoken. Like for the long, for a long time, and even today, like video games are seen as a male-oriented entertainment. When women really are also a huge segment of video games, so I just kind of the disingenuous pushing away of the female demographic to me seems like just a, a real dumb idea because when they when it gets latched onto something, it it usually does really well. Yeah, and I I definitely do see where people are coming from when they say, why do we have to divide it by gender? Why do we have to divide it by sex? Like, you can read anything and you can like anything. It's all manga at the end of the day. Um, But for me, even as someone who does identify more as non-binary, I I still see the, the value in having Shoujo and Jose and especially when it is still so undervalued by everyone else. Mm. It, it's, it's giving a safe space and a, like a safe haven for girls who don't see themselves in shonen and women who don't see themselves in seinen. And you know, if you're, uh, to the most extreme example, if you're, if you're, <laughs> If you're reading a hentai series, or if you're reading an ecchi series, and you just call it manga, you just call it ecchi series, I don't think women are going to be able to, you know, just pick up an ecchi series because they wanted some smut, <laughs> and be like, oh, this is this is for me, you know? Like, it's going to be very objectifying and, and degrading sometimes. So, like, having that separation can be helpful for for things like that especially Mm. yeah i know you've you've talked about this in your videos where the shoujo market is severely underserved A, a common complaint that i know you have and that i would agree with is viz is really poor about licensing shoujo titles for their shoujo beat line. Now, I, I don't know how it is with other publishers like Seven Seas or Yen Press, um, but it, it seems like there's a market there. Why are you ignoring an underserved market? Yeah, I, I do think this year Viz has been doing a lot better, um, at least in the sense that they didn't only license five series, like there are already over five series, uh, five shoujos licensed for this year. And I'm like, Okay, you know what? You did better than last year. I'll take it. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, you know, there's so many shoujo series that that do so well in Japan or are very popular, and yet we don't have them in English. And, you know, you can look at other markets. And while they are different from America, and I do understand that there's going to be different trends in different markets, just seeing that, like, so many other countries already have these series and we're like years behind it's just a little disheartening and to me it's so easy to see that it's like why do we not have these and is it really anything other than just like undervaluing 
their their audience of women or undervaluing just shoujo and jose in general um Mm. and i do think a lot of it it's not all american companies i don't think to a degree i don't think they can do much about it sometimes i do think that the companies over in japan are also like they need to be pushing these series if they're seeing that they're doing so well like why don't you want to market that outside of your country as well so i i think it's really just a mix of both you know uh, Shoujo and Jose, the same conversations we have in America, you can find those same conversations in Japan as well. If you just go to like, actually, I don't know how I find this, but <laughs> you can you can look up um, these conversations with like the in Japanese, and they'll have like whole forum posts of you know guys saying, "Well, we don't need Shoujo and Jose because Wish Had Atelier exists," and it's just like. Cool, it's a great Seinen series. That doesn't mean we don't need anything outside of it. But yeah, so like the conversations are everywhere and it's not just a unique thing to America. I feel like the problems are just all encompassing around the world because, you know, sexism can't be escaped. (laughs) No, and I, for me, I don't understand it because I think it's it's really good to listen to another perspective because <laughs> at least sorry at least I I can only see things a certain way I can only see things a certain way and hearing or reading a different perspective about a certain topic or a certain genre can be really interesting and you could learn a different aspect or a different different take on things. So I don't I don't understand the hesitancy to to at least try to listen to the different two different perspectives within mm-hmm. uh, within the manga anime space. And also a lot of the sh- a lot of shoujo tropes are taken into other categories like um I don't I don't know if this is a recent thing, but it's it's funny to me that the 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 label romance is so tied to shoujo, when romance is such a big part of popular shonen and seinen series. Like uh, for me, De- Detective Conan is one of my favorite series. Romance and the will they won't they of Sinichi and Ran getting together—that's a pillar of that series. That's a the romantic tension of that is a big part of that series. Uh, I know this isn't, I think this isn't a shoujo, but like fantasy series like Inuyasha, which was really popular, the romance angle of that was, was a big reason why people were really into Inuyasha back in the day. And, or with newer shonen series uh, like uh, Horror Mia or uh, Dress Up Darling, romance is a key part of that so i i don't i don't understand why people think romance is so is only tied to the shoujo and jose genre when it's pretty widespread at this point yeah and and this is where i would say that shueisha as a company is just my enemy because I feel like a lot of the reason why the American audience is so just confused about 
like what shonen is and what shoujo is is because a lot of like the most popular stuff that comes to America is from shueisha and on the shonen mm-hmm. end it's shonen jump and on the shoujo end it's like at nowadays at the very least it's betsuma which is all high school romances that's like the core genre that betsuma magazine focuses on so if you just look at those two it is stark like you know there's no there's really no romance other than blue box right now in shonen jump which is why everyone thinks that it's so unique and special and not to like crap on blue box or anything that's not the point of what i was trying to get at there but it's like it's a very rare romance series in shonen jump and that is why everyone is like oh my gosh they're like this is this is a romance series and a shonen that's crazy but if you just step outside shonen jump for two seconds you'll find shonen sunday which is where detective conan is and where inuyasha is and where komi can't communicate is so just the the american perspective on shonen is very just shonen jump and i feel like even if they take one step out of that you find so many other series that also have romance because guys don't hate romance romance is very well loved by by dudes too it's not just women you know it's very strange guys want romance i don't i don't understand why this this idea of just like women only want romance no everybody wants romance in their life that's that seems really dumb to me about the whole narrowing of romance to only one particular gender slash sex I think that's why a lot of people just think shoujo is romance and then they'll say like dress up darling is is a shoujo because they just they just are like oh I like I don't know if they just think shoujo is like a special word for romance but that that seems to be the consensus is just shoujo means romance and so anything that is romance is shoujo and it's like I, I do not claim dress up darling sorry <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I think Shueisha, by their own perspective, they realized we need to diversify in our storytelling because if we don't do that, then the audience will get bored because there's only so much Bleach, Naruto, and One Piece they want to read. So we need to try and diversify and try different types of subjects out. And so it's not all just big battles big battle fight scenes in a tournament we need we need to change it up yeah they've they've been pretty heavily just like action and comedy stuff for a long time now um so i think they're probably starting to they basically have a grip on literally everything manga and anime so they can afford to do whatever they want at this point and just try stuff out
would you say is the difference between a romantic portrayal in a typical shonen work and a shoujo work? It really is hard to say. Um, I mean, I could go with the the usual like shonen just don't focus on the romance as much, even in a romance series. Like, I don't know, if you look at Komi Can't Communicate, which some people would not even claim to be a romance series, it, it doesn't focus on the romance as much. It's more like focused on the comedy aspects or the slice of life aspects. Um, while in a in a shoujo, it would focus on the romance, like the the dynamics between the characters is the meat of the story, mm-hmm. and that can be in shonen too. It I just feel like sometimes it's just the way that that shoujo focuses on their characters is just always going to be a little bit different because it's very introspective and it's very inward in a way that shonen isn't as much because you don't really get as much of like that poetic inner dialogue of just like really agonizing feelings between people. I feel like that is a very unique thing about shoujo. Yeah, I I would say the romance is usually like an extra added flavor to the the main subject of the work. Like Detective Conan, the main focus is who was murdered in this chapter uh, at this point. And the romance is usually like a small little addendum. Or in other romance romance depictions in shonen, it's usually through the male gaze. Like Dress Up Darling is completely through the male gaze. (laughs) And uh, and there's not any real dimensional layers to the romance. It's very sim- very simplistic of, I find this person attractive. I want to be with this person, right? Whereas in, sh- in shoujo works, things can be a lot more complicated in terms of the romance and the layers to a character and the personality. Yeah, I I just, I always view shoujo to be so much more character driven. And I think that's Mm. why shoujo romance, like, really resonates with a lot of people, just because it is so character driven. And it's more common to find those in shoujo. And I feel like with shonen, it's a little less common, which is why I kind of feel myself because I, I love character stories. If if I'm like getting to dissect characters and like figure out how they how they work um, in a series, that's like that's what I love because I can dissect that and I can I can like make uh, I can make video essays off that. You know, like if if there's <laughs> if there's complicated characters and they're all like intertwined with each other that's that's why i'm like okay that's that's my bread and butter right there (laughs) and i feel like with shonen it's more plot oriented and with plot oriented things i get lost so easily sometimes (laughs) so for stuff like that it's a little harder for me to get into and i feel like a lot of shonen romance series are more plot oriented rather than the characters themselves Oh, and it's it's very much a repeat 
uh, set up, repeat, set up, repeat, right? Yeah. Like, Comey, Comey can't communicate has a very particular joke that it that's trying to tell. It tells the joke and maybe a little bit of romance or in a more action oriented thing. It's I must defeat this person. I must defeat this sub boss to get to the other sub boss to get to the other sub boss. <laughs> exactly. We're- Which is why I do end up liking, like if I like an action series, it's more often a shoujo as well, just because there is, there is an overarching plot and the plot is really, really compelling and really well thought out. But I'm also like getting the the insight of the character and like how the character is feeling as well. And I can really connect mm. more to that than just, I don't know. It's hard to say because like, you know, there's so many different shonen and shoujo. You could poke holes in anything I'm saying right now. But from what I've, what I've read and what I've enjoyed, those are like the differences that I see more often. Well, one, one thing that I particularly love about shoujo is just the heightened emotional stakes that you get in shoujo like in a lot of these older shoujos i've been watching it's very much this is life or death for me i must beat the um i must beat the the queen of the of the tennis court in order to progress on the team or what will everyone think of me if i do not make the serve and that's not really there in shonen as where it's more some it's more simplistic in terms of emotional feelings it's either neutral or very high whereas with shoujo it can go all across the map and that to me feels more realistic and is more relatable because that's how we are we we are emotional human beings that have crazy cycles that can go up and down and up and down and sideways left and right um which I which I really connect to. Yeah, same. Especially like it, for me, you know, growing up as a teenage girl for the longest time, I uh, was also in a crazy heightened emotional state at all times. Where one day I'd wake up and I was just crazy depressed, and I thought everyone hated me. And then the next day I'm like off the walls, hyper. And maybe that's just because I had a lot of problems back then, but. <laughs> I say this with a bit hesitation, but I also really enjoy the kind of the, the soap opera aspect of it, of just the over the top like uh, rival that you could have, or just the everything is high stakes, and I think that can be a lot of fun. And I, it's funny to me that people think of soap operas are are tied to women, gender, and sex when American superhero comics and wrestling, which are usually primarily for the male demographic, is basically male soap operas. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like soap operas get a lot of flack. And, like, I've never been a soap opera person. I couldn't say much about them. But I'm sure they are just as, like, I don't know, dramatic as any other more male-dominated media, too. Drama is something that everyone loves. You can't say no to drama. Everyone loves it. People are watching Succession. That's drama, okay? <laughs> People are watching The Bear, and that's that's a that's a family drama. 
or exactly. um, um, I haven't I haven't watched this, but like um, Severance, which is about like a, a workplace drama that that's also a big show that's currently going on right now. It's like you can't deny we enjoy dramatic events happening to other people and seeing their emotional highs and lows. <laughs> yeah. I just think as humans, we like seeing other humans go through things that that we've gone through. <laughs> yeah. Or we like to live out a certain fantasy. Like, yeah. I'm I'm never going to live in historical Japan. So seeing a shoujo manga that takes place in that time period or a shoujo manga that takes maybe in the far future is really interesting and I'm and I want to explore that. As we're, I think we're we're wrapping up. I would like to ask you. There's there seems to always be. I know it, shoujo is not the doesn't get as much as the love as shonen, but there's always seems to be something going on with with shoujo, whether that be like an announcement from Discotech. They in their latest uh, announcement stream, they did announce they are going to put out this this obscure uh 80s 80s shoujo and they have been putting out more classic shoujos from the 70s and 80s and uh dempa i think this summer is putting out they were 11 which is a classic sci-fi shoujo which i'm real excited about is there a shoujo manga or anime that's coming or that's out currently that you're really excited about or that you're that's keeping you really engaged I will say this year, we have gotten so many announcements for shoujo anime. Um, I say so many and it's just like five, but <laughs> that's more than previous years. So I'll take it at this point. Um, but yeah, they just announced that A Condition Called Love is getting an anime next year in the winter. So I am extremely excited for that. That is one of my favorite series. Um, and this past season we had oku the inner chambers come out which was a fantastic anime series that i just feel like everyone's missing because it's not it wasn't weekly <laughs> they just dumped it all at once and uh no one's really talking about it anymore um that's, and then, that's just the net oh sorry that's just that's just netflix being netflix like i think yeah. anytime a net, a th an anime gets onto Netflix, it just gets lost in the void because it's not on Crunchyroll, unfortunately. Yeah, luckily, My Happy Marriage, which is also airing this season, is a weekly on Netflix, so people are, like, actually, you know, getting to hype that one up a little bit, <laughs> which I, I really wish they did for Oku, but... Mm. And then for manga... 
I'm trying to think. I feel like most of the, the shoujo and jose manga that I was very excited for already came out this year. So like, um, Don't Call It Mystery by Yumi Tamura already came out. That was my biggest hype up series for this year was Don't Call It Mystery. And now that it's out, I'm just kind of like, all right, well, what's next? <laughs> and I feel like um, announcements for manga this year have been a little lackluster on the shoujo side. Um, so I'm just kind of hoping we either get something towards the end of the year that I'm more excited about or these these upcoming shoujo animes are um, going to keep me, <laughs> they're going to keep me fed for this little like small manga drought of things I'm not as looking forward to. Oh, I, I should ask you, um, because I'm not as tapped in to the manga space so when i see people get really excited for let's say a, a shoujo announcement i'm a, i'm always a little confounded or confused of just how do people already know about said series or um, said release and how do they keep up with it is it through like reddit is it through like a, a forum in particular or how do you keep up with um, series in particular that are not licensed by a U.S. publisher? Yeah, for me, it's kind of a mix of like three different things. Um, the first one is usually, so I follow Manga Mogura on Twitter, and they are a great source for any any new series coming out, um, any announcements, any just like chapter color pages and magazines, and the work that they do is super helpful for me. Um, the other thing is I'm on Annie list a lot, just like browsing, trying to find things. And there's so many different like organizational ways to look through Annie list. Um, you can go by year, you can pick a shoujo, you can pick Jose and then like action and you can just scroll for as long as it takes you. And that's how I find a lot of just like obscure series I've never heard of, just scrolling through any list for a while. Uh, and then the last thing is I get a lot of the magazines from Japan. Um, my Kino Kaniya that is close to me, uh, they have the magazines uh, from Japan that they sell there. And so every, every now and then I'll go, I'll pick a couple up and just kind of like browse through and then go to their websites to see if I can figure out which, which manga is which. And then from there I go to Annie list and I just kind of like see what other <laughs> series that the author has worked on before. So usually that's how I find things. I think for other people, they're probably just like browsing Annie list or they heard about it from someone else. Um, I would say uh, most of the time shoujo romance series get they they get a lot of recommendation videos on TikTok. So like people mm -hmm. will just make like oh my favorite shoujo romances and those are usually the ones that end up getting more popular just for the fact that I, romance does so well in America in general. So and I I know you've covered videos covering particular shoujo magazines in japan like margaret and uh i'm blanking on i'm sorry what you recently did another video about another shoujo focused magazine in japan 
Uh, yeah, um, Lala. Lala, thank you. So I, I imagine you look for those when you can find them or pay attention when you can online to what Margaret or Lala is doing. Yeah, I, I like to I like to keep up with those, just kind of see like what they're putting out, what what genres they're trying to explore. Um, and I keep up with a lot of other ones too. Uh, Hanatayume and Dessert are also very popular ones. So I try to keep yeah. up with those as well. And I, I guess I have a, a, a selfish request if you don't mind me asking. So since I'm still a relative newbie, what, what shoujo anime or manga should I just go out and go read or watch? And you can't say Shihaya Furu. <laughs> well, I did say by the end. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, fine. I'll 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 refrain. Um, what would you say is like more more what you find yourself drawn to genre wise? I really love uh, historical pieces that take place in, an, in a different time. I've also been really enjoying uh, Snow White with the Red Hair. That's been a kind of action adventure. Um, I keep hearing really good things about, uh, is it Yolanda the Don? Uh, Yona. I'm saying it wrong. Oh, Yona the Don. My yeah. apologies. Yeah, you know, I, that's probably what I should go check out is, is Yona the Don. Yeah, it is a very good series. Um, and you would be able to watch the anime for that too if you kind of like prefer to get a little taste before you dive in. I was going to say hmm. Requiem of the Rose King might be up your alley because it is very reminiscent of those like 70s and 80s uh, shoujos, as well as being hmm. a historical series, lots of action, high stakes drama. Don't watch the anime though. It's horrible. The manga is very good. <laughs> Well, that's that's good to know. Uh, yeah, I'm like I said earlier. I'm a bit of a hipster, and I just love the old '70s and '80s uh, art aesthetic that yeah. you get in like classic classic shoujo. So I definitely will uh, check out check out that manga uh, in the very near future. And I, I I promised the listener and you today. Today or tonight, as of this recording, I will go watch Shihai Furu. Let's go. Let's go. This is all I needed. (laughs) (sighs) And I I think with that, we should do the time-honored podcast tradition that is plugs. So, Colleen, where can people find you and follow you? You can find me on TikTok youtube and instagram at colleen's manga rex and then you can also find me on twitter at colleen's manga because rex didn't fit in the character limit (laughs) are you also on any of the other startup social media sites like threads or whatever no i'm just gonna go down with the ship at this point (laughs) (laughs) i'm not trying to get on some other app (laughs) I, I I think I'm I'm the same way where it's just like I should really leave this website, but it still functions for the most part. And like I don't want to have to set up another profile exactly. on another website 
with another password I have to remember. <laughs> exactly. It's the passwords that that are killing me. Like I can't I can't keep using like the same five, six passwords over and over. At some point I'm gonna get hacked. <laughs> I you you are preaching to the choir here with the passwords, so I'm just like I don't I don't need to do another one. Not another one. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I'm still on Twitter slash X, but I'm you know what, don't I'm probably a pretty boring follow so i'm gonna say go check out colleen's youtube channel i learned a lot and have found out a lot about shoujo works and in different manga and different series and your essays are top notch and Thank i you. highly recommend highly recommend them but i will say if you like our other interviews that we've done in here we had Leave a, a while ago, we had Erica Friedman, who is an expert on Yuri on the podcast. That was a great uh, episode that Soli and Tori did. Or we had uh, Sai from Anime Feminist, where we talked about Zombieland Saga. So I would recommend those episodes, and you can find them on your favorite podcast catcher of choice. And they're also on our YouTube channel, Third Impact Anime. Uh, which you can go find there. So once again, Colleen, thank you for coming on and thank you so much um, for talking to me and giving us your great insight on shoujo, manga, and anime. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Same here. Listeners, we will see you in the next episode. I'm not